The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the SAS district community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. This episode is sponsored by MicroAcquire, a free startup acquisition marketplace. MicroAcquire helps startups get acquired. Simple as that. When you list your startup on MicroAcquire, you get free and instant access to over 10,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. Say goodbye to brokers and meet your ideal buyer today. If you're a startup founder with less than 500K in ARR and are looking to sell your business, visit microacquire.com today and list your business for free. If you'd like to receive a promo code for Balsamic, or even just thank the folks at Balsamic for supporting our community, please check out our show notes where we include a link to that promo code specifically for the SaaS district community. Thank you all. everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to use interactive content for improving conversions, how to scale an an international content marketing team, and applying growth through acquisition. Today, we have our guest, Diego Gomez, joining us. Diego is an entrepreneur, angel investor, SaaS expert, and the CEO of Rock Content. After studying advertising, he met Victor, his co-founder, where they were both avid blog readers, which led led them to start a blog about trends, technology, and the internet. Not long after that, Diego created Everwrite, which was an SEO platform that was then reverse engineered by Google that gives brands intelligence when creating content. To demonstrate that the SEO hypothesis worked, they created a blog, and Diego spent his days producing content on the most diverse topics. Diego also wanted to undertake and build an impactful company in Brazil. With Diego's experience and network, that gave rise to Rock Content Today, one of the largest content marketing companies in Latin America. Today, him and his two co-founders lead Rock Content, which is a team of more than 300 professional rockers. They produce content for 20 global companies in different languages, and their revenues continue to grow at an extremely fast pace. They've hit over $25 million in annual revenue, and they have big plans for their next step, which we'll get covered today. So welcome, Diego. Glad to have you on our show today. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a big uh, fan of the SaaS podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so I, I, really, I just want to get in and kind of understand your story and how you decided to build Rock Content. I believe you launched Rock Content in 2013 in Brazil, uh, where you focused on the content marketing space. And then you expanded to Mexico and now more recently to the USA. Uh, recently, you were also published on Nathan Latka's magazine as a, as a global category leader. Can you tell us a little bit more about Rock content, its product, and uh, you know what's the future trajectory? Sure. Uh, around seven years ago, me and my co-founders, we were always uh, studying the next big trends in marketing and advertising in, in the marketing industry as a whole. And it became very clear to us that the brands had to become publishers and own their audiences to, to grow. So we started our business by creating a talent network of more today, more than 80,000 creative professionals all over the world. But as you mentioned, we started in Brazil. Uh, We were able to achieve fast growth and a leading position in the local market. Uh, A few years later, we 
We expanded into Mexico. Uh, we have a, a small team there, but we have some great customers leveraging us to create content in English, Portuguese, and Spanish mostly. And in 2019, we decided it was time to enter the U.S. market, and we entered through a, uh, an acquisition of a company called Scribble Live in the same space. Uh, today, we are around 400 people. Uh, the split in Four different countries. Uh, we have around 2,000 brands as customers. And luckily, we're growing uh, significantly. So we're really excited to, to, for the future of the content marketing category. Yeah, that, that's, that's fantastic. So from my understanding, many of your, your core services are very much service-driven at this point, you know, providing you know, content marketing services where you guys really began and continue to grow for your clients. Um, you know, when we speak about SaaS, I want to understand how much software have you built into your process and where do you include that automation for your clients? Where can they expect to see the SaaS part? So we started as a, a creative marketplace. So we started building a network of talented designers, writers, video makers uh, that could be matched to brands and could help them scale their content creation. Uh, as time passed, it became clear to us that there was more and more need for software platforms to help in the content marketing. Uh, our first product was Rock Studio, which is a content marketing platform that lets uh, customers plan, distribute, measure their content marketing results and collaborate among themselves. Uh, later on, we launched uh, Stage, which is a digital experience platform based on top of WordPress. So we, we moved from the content creation suite to the content experience suite. And recently, through an acquisition, we acquired uh, Ion Interactive, which is an interactive content platform. So we have around 50% of our revenues, a little bit more than that in a pure SaaS. Mm -hmm. And the second big revenue line for us is the marketplace, where we, we, we brands really need to constantly be publishing higher content volumes. And the marketplace is a very powerful tool for them to be able to create that at scale without having the fixed cost of expanding the team. Got it. So they come in on your platform, Rock Studio, and they can hire a writer to, to help them create the content for their, their marketing plan. Are, you, are, they, are they being assisted and are you providing them a service or are they just logging in, you know, finding the best writer and uh, you know, being able to hire somebody there? Directly. The majority of the customers are, are in this self-service model, SaaS plus the marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have this standalone marketplace where you can just go and buy content like an infographic or a few videos. It's visual.ly. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we have a services team that works with around 10% of our customers to very closely to provide strategic guidance and help them evolve this, their strategies. Got it. Got it. And what, what is your process? If you can share a little bit, you know, this is your secret sauce, but helps you continue to scale, right? You have different languages. You have Spanish, Portuguese, English. Now you have, you know, you said, I think 4,000 different clients and, you know, hundreds of thousands of writers. How do you manage all that and, you know, still continue to scale and, and make sure the quality is still there? So it's a, a, a very interesting machine. It all starts with uh, talent portfolios. So they come to our website, they create their portfolio of articles of, uh, videos, infographics. Uh, <clears throat> then there is, if they want to deliver services in our marketplace, they want to go through a certification uh, <coughs> process. So they have to take a course, do a few tests, 
And once they start uh, working on our platform, there is a reputation and matching algorithm, mm-hmm. uh, which I would say it's not super similar, but has a lot of similarities with Uber, Upwork, other marketplaces, yeah. where I can clearly know that Akil really masters M&A, private equity, uh, mm-hmm. and he has a reputation of five stars and he delivers mm-hmm. on time. Uh, and that's the, the secret of ensuring that we have the, always the best uh, matching and the best talent for the, for the customer. Makes sense. Um, and then, you know, kind of talking about, you know, you talked about the, that recent other acquisition you, you did about, you know, interactive content. We've heard about that term interactive content for a while, which allows, I think, users to participate or engage with the content that they create. Um, why would you say that's a better content marketing strategy for, for SaaS founders to include in, in their marketing plan? Should they, should they look at using that? Uh, yes, I think uh, recently I, I even wrote a post on why interactive content is super relevant for SaaS companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main reason is static, static content and ebooks and landing pages with the traditional forms. They are really good and they work a lot for conversions on, on any SaaS business. But over time, we are seeing a decrease in the conversion rates of these formats and customers want more engaging experiences. Uh, When I say more engaging experiences, I mean, I am considering buying uh, um, marketing automation software. I want to be able to see what's the ROI that that solution would bring to me, what would be my gains and and, uh, how much it would drive in savings. And interactive is perfect for that because you can collect the data, uh, customize and present an ROI assessment that it's tailored for each individual company. Uh, and that data collected is amazing for the, for the SaaS sales rep. Like I know if I'm selling marketing automation and I, have, I, I usually had to ask you how many visits, how many leads, how many salespeople you had in the past. Now, all that data comes from an interactive experience, which is a lot richer for both the rep and for the customer. Uh, other examples include, uh, that I think are great, data-driven reports. So how do you compare with other companies in your industry, for instance? Mm-hmm. These kinds of content really makes the customer, uh, he sees value on providing data to you. And it's first part, declare data, which is, more relevant in terms of GDPR. Mm-hmm. Another segment we see great results for SaaS businesses, companies that do, that have multiple products. Uh, sometimes the customer doesn't even know about all those products and solution finders are very powerful. So you tell a little bit about yourself and here's how we can help. Product A, B, C. These kinds of interactions are are. are really high value for, for the customer and for the business. So I'm a big fan. Cool. Cool. I, I haven't, we haven't used it yet, but I've heard good things about it. have to have to check that out. Um, you know, specifically on the, on the content marketing side, um, you know, if, if SaaS founders are always, you know, wondering how to improve the quality of their content um, and then how to generate, you know, new ideas. Do you believe that, you know, what I, what I see a lot of people do is they select several popular articles out there. Um, you know, they review them, they do some research and then, they create an original blog post that basically synthesizes their own thought and main ideas to then create content, you know, for, for their own articles. Is that the right way to do it? I think that's one of the best ways, like, especially when it comes into content marketing, 
you want to be a, a, a reliable authority, but you also want to be a great curator. So compiling what is great out there, building great lists and knowledge hubs about the topic you're expert in, and even bringing perspectives from external, trying to combine that with your original point of view. That's uh, uh, an approach I really recommend. Like uh, To build authority, you have to, to share your own perspectives, the right. best practices, the concepts. And that's a great way, not only for growing our traffic and leads, Mm-hmm. but also to grow your network on the digital world. You share content from other people, they will share back. It's yeah. a great approach. <clears throat> Makes sense. And I see, you know, rock content creates, creates a lot of great content. You guys actually follow your own, uh, you know, your own message and, and you're creating, you know, great content and ranking for a lot of keywords. What do you think about how you create content? Are you creating super specialized niche content versus general content for, say, larger audience? Like, for example, Horizon. Uh, we can write about you know general M and A practices about you know growth strategy or acquisition strategy, which are you know which appeals to more people in, in the grand scheme of things. But then we can also write specific technical art- articles about you know technical price adjustment, uh, due diligence analysis, but maybe less interesting. Um, how, how do you look at that? I think every great strategy is a mix of of uh, uh, niche and broad content, okay. and you have to really find what's the best mix for you. In our case, we are our biggest uh, customers. Like we publish hundreds of content pieces every single month. We have more than 6 million visits on our blogs worldwide. So we take an approach that it's a a combination of both. We have expert uh, advice and very niche articles, but we also go with more introductory for attracting a top of the funnel audience. So if you look at uh, uh, how we do today, we we are expanding beyond content marketing and going to digital marketing because uh, as you master your niche, you find more opportunities into uh, similar niches, closed niches. And I believe the best way to to start is finding what is your special area, like the area you really can bring unique perspectives and, and mm. it's okay. It's typically very niche in the beginning. And mm. as you conquer your niche, you start uh, growing uh, sideways and encompassing more. Mm. Uh, a good strategy for the broad piece and say, okay, I want a very high volume, less qualified traffic to grow my awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where you should go with less... Uh, specific and more broad topics. So it would be great for you to have a what is private equity and a what is a how to do an M&A transaction end-to-end. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, when starting, I strongly suggest you nail a niche. Got it. Yeah, that's actually super helpful to, to, to realize. Uh, and then for, for B2B SaaS founders or marketers, you know, they're, they're trying to set up their marketing budget. So I know you work with a lot of founders who are doing this for their content marketing. How do you suggest them to deploy that budget um, as effective as possible and obviously maximizing the long-term ROI? Because we understand it's, it's a long-term play, right? I see content marketing as a, a, a performance investment, and I really treat it in such a way. Uh, the main difference is it takes a little bit more time to bring, uh, results, 
but the cost per visit, cost per lead, cost per opportunity are significantly low on the long term. Mm-hmm. So the way I typically look at this is I look at my, if I am using paid media, uh, what are my key drivers and how that will look like over in a one, two, three years window and try to compare what are the expected results I should have in content marketing. Typically the results, the chart looks like this, like it's uh, uh, up into uh, the, the right in terms of uh, results and your cost per lead goes in the opposite direction. The more content over time, it goes significantly down. Uh, if you don't do a lot of paid media, it's very important to assess what's your target unit economics, what are the keyword values, the amount of expected traffic. But it's very important that you put this longer term window to evaluate and plan. Uh, content marketing to be successful, you have to put a, a strategy and commit to it. I would say at least one year to start having really solid results. Okay. Uh, the, the metaphor we often use with our customers is when you compare content marketing to, to paid media, it's typically the difference between owning and renting. When you're mm. buying traffic from... Google and Facebook, you're renting visibility and you get immediate uh, uh, results. But the moment you stop paying, it also ceases to generate additional value. And content is like building your house on the internet. Makes sense. And so let's say you commit, okay, I'm going to put this much dollar amount for the next year. I've committed to it. I I understand the value of it. Um, You guys, you said you're producing hundreds of articles a month. Are are you focusing, if you're not at the beginning, a few high quality pieces of interactive media at a higher cost? Or do you focus on the volume approach of just getting a lot of content out there? Both, both. I think you have to distribute like higher volume approaches work a lot for companies, uh, where you don't have to educate too much the customer about your solution. Mm. So if it's a simple offer uh, and it's something that it, everybody understands and the pain is already there, typically it's top of the funnel and higher volume works better. When you have to educate your audience uh, uh, and it's a more niche approach, like uh, uh, um, let's say you have a really new innovative category of software, it's AI, uh, human resources software, you're going to have to do a lot of education and that's where you should put your uh, uh, big rock content, as we like to say, mm-hmm. your million dollar case studies. And we have these pieces that are essential on our funnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, it has to be a combination to drive awareness and drive conversion. Uh, typically high awareness means low conversion. So one has to lead to the other. Got it. And then, uh, so, you know, high volume, high frequency, high quality. But, you know, for one year now, what is your suggested content schedule, say, for B2B founders? I know some say one per week at the minimum. Some do maybe one a month. And then I hear, you know, what is the length of, of the content you want to do? Because I know right now I think it's, you know, 1,000, 1,500. Is it 2,000? I know you guys create super long form articles as well. Yeah. So uh, I do a lot of small SaaS angel investing. Like I have done a few companies over the past few years and they always ask me this question. And I, I'm, I always tell them, I'm going to give you the simplest possible path to, to success and start small, but on year two and beyond, you accelerate and measure. And 
typically I advise them to do uh, two to three articles per week, uh, mm-hmm. promote those in social media, try to link to other publications and uh, uh, other uh, influencers in your industry. Uh, and I strongly advise for at least one high conversion, high uh, depth content piece per quarter, ideally per month on your category. So if you are selling the software, you have to have the ebook or the interactive experience for how AI can help uh, HR teams to scale with more efficiency. Mm. And creating these big conversion pieces is a critical piece. Uh, the blog typically is stronger on awareness, and the, the, these are the ones that will take people closer to buying. Got it. So just to kind of recap, you're focusing a lot of your time and effort on, on top of the funnel content just to drive more awareness. And then you want to create, uh, you know, more, so that's more volume. And then you want to create those high quality, you know, mid funnel, get people uh, engaged with your product and learn more and maybe make a decision, right? Exactly. If I'm selling a SaaS product, I would have map the main keywords of my industry for my blog. And I would try to do two or three a week. I would find the essential pieces of education that typically my sales team had to do before and try to turn those into content experiences, uh, uh, live, interactive, or even a simple ebook. And I would also strongly advise that we create an ROI calculator to help their prospects to understand the potential value created by our product. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Um, kind of switching gears to kind of your, your other growth strategies you guys deployed. You guys take on the growth through acquisition strategy of Scribble Live in 2019. And you also mentioned another acquisition. Um, can you share what your thought process and decision process was at the time and why you thought it was a good fit? And what has been the result so far since the merger? Sure. So so in our trajectory, we did two acquisitions. One, it was a product uh, add-on to cross-sell and, and increase our revenue retention. It's been super successful. The second one, Scribble Live, which was the latest one, it's uh, uh, a geographic player for Latin America, working with very big brands, but only providing content and solutions for them for Portuguese and Spanish-speaking markets. Uh, Scribble was a company in a similar industry, the same industry, uh, exactly the same customer profile, and they already had this talent network of uh, tens of thousands of U.S. creative talent. Uh, In our case, it would be a make-or-buy decision, and it was very clear for us that it would take a lot more time if we had to build the the talent network from scratch in North America. So that was the main driver, same customer in expanding our talent network. Uh, It's been around one year now, and I'm super excited about it. Uh, Customers are expanding, revenues are are growing, retention as well. Uh, Mm. Really good results on retention and cross-selling. So it was a very good uh, experience for us. I think for, for the Scribble Live team, we brought a lot of great talent to the company, several of those in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. We're pretty excited about this phase we are in, uh, expanding very fast in North America. 
Nice. That's a smart, pretty move, right? So some people, they think it's easy to expand into a new market and, you know, it's not as easy as it sounds. So, you know, acquiring, you know, kind of aqua hire, uh, buying an existing team and then, you know, using that to leverage your brand. That's, that's pretty smart. Do you, do you have any future acquisition plans for either 2020 or near future that you guys are looking at or thinking about, or is it on hold for now? We are big believers in, in uh, M&A as a, a way to supplement organic growth. I don't think mm-hmm. like it can be the only trick you have in your playbook for growth, but it's a very powerful one when, com- when you combine organic and inorganic growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a few industries we always look at. Uh, I'm not planning any deals on the short term. But our category is very broad and it's very fragmented. Mm-hmm. So we, we are always analyzing new innovations in the category, new formats that emerge and might need to bring new skills to our marketplace uh, and companies that work with similar, uh, the same customer uh, with high cross-sell potential. Mm. Make, makes sense. So we've only done one acquisition in Brazil so far, um, and we're currently exploring some deals in Latin America, maybe even you know Mexico. I, I'm personally quite bullish on the market and ap- opportunities across Latin America. I think there's a lot of opportunities to, to be made, but um, also with its own issues. Like for example, that deal did have its you know issues with going to a different com- country. Um, but what's your thoughts on the market? Where do you see the entrepreneurship headed, and what's the growth trajectory in Latin America in the next you know f- five years? It's a huge market uh, and it's, there are some really big companies uh, that need several products that are not, the, the big enterprise US companies are not always open to serving these customers very well with the, the local language, etc. Mm-hmm. So in the last few years, we've seen a lot of growth in the SaaS industry and in the startup community. Uh, I'm very happy to see uh, companies such as Lynx right now being acquired by Stone, which is a Brazilian fintech that listed in NASDAQ recently. Cool. We got several subscription companies listing such as Vasta. Uh, we had uh, uh, in NASDAQ, uh, Arco Educação. Uh, we have Totus, which is the biggest Brazilian ERP provider. And, but these are, I would say, slightly older companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new generation is really exciting. Like we're seeing fast growth companies um, born in Brazil or Mexico or Argentina that are taking the global market as their target market from day zero. Uh, if I could bring a few examples that I admire... I really admire VTEX, which is, uh, they started out of Brazil, but they now have lots of customers all over the world. They are an e-commerce platform. Okay. Uh, PipeFi, it's a business process management SaaS solution. They started, uh, they're growing everywhere, not only in Latin, but very strong growth in the US as well. Uh, this week, I've seen... Uh, 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 great news about an Argentinian startup called Murally. They create uh, online collaboration, uh, creative collaboration platform, uh, and they just raised that $120 million Series B. Uh, wow. And the market is the world, although these companies always see uh, uh, their domestic markets as a very fast and accelerated path to growth. Mm-hmm. Um, the latest one I would mention that comes to mind is Gym Pass. 
-hmm. They started in Brazil, expanded to Europe, now growing very strong in the US as well. Yeah. So the local startups, they are starting to go beyond the domestic market, which is huge, mm -hmm. but also taking advantage of this local market uh, for initial growth and initial traction without having to be very capital intensive. Right. Yeah, that was actually, I was in, in Sao Paulo, I think, last year uh, for a marketing conference. And I was actually very impressed with the amount of talent, the amount of startups that are, you know, doing really good things and, and they're growing super quickly. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, pretty, I'm quite bullish about the opportunities. And I see there's, there's a lot going on there. What, what differences have you seen, um, you know, growing, you know, starting and growing in Brazil and then moving to Mexico and then moving to the U.S.? What have you seen in terms of difference between you know, the quality of, of the, the teams that you've worked with, the, the, the clients you work with, any differences that you see that we should pay attention to? I would say that uh, uh, the, the typical buyer uh, uh, in Latin America is less mature than in U.S. because they weren't, uh, uh, mass, they, they didn't have a lot of, especially in technology, they didn't, they more often than not, they weren't exposed to a category for how technology can help their businesses. Mm -hmm. So this creates a very interesting dynamic. Like when you present something to them, they are very eager to buy and deals tend not to be competitive, but you have to do a big push in customer education. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of talent, uh, we really had great engineering resources all over Latin America. Uh, which is, I think it's a pretty big competitive advantage. Uh, the local uh, costs are, are significantly lower than, than the, the Valley costs or New York sure. costs. Um, they, are, they also tend to be a lot more capital efficient because in our case, uh, when you look at our category in North America, all the players raised a very big uh, venture rounds. Mm -hmm. And because the market was competitive and there were a lot of players there, uh, because we didn't have a lot of competition in the, the Brazilian market or Mexican market early on, we were able to scale profitably and learn to, to how to master this acquisition engine that surprisingly is working pretty well in the U.S. as well. Like the playbook of education, creating a lot of content, it works anywhere in the world, mm. but uh, um, most of the companies that grow and do hyper growth and big raises, they tend to do more shorter term marketing and customer acquisition tactics, which do not build a lasting value for their brands. Here in Latin America, you'd say? Or in the US? No, in, in the, U, in in the, the US, US, I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, uh, every new category, you have five uh, very uh, heavily funded players. And most of the time, they tend to, to uh, um, invest in shorter term marketing te tactics uh, like paid media, etc. instead of building a, a real brand following an audience. Obviously, there are amazing exceptions and, and uh, fantastic trajectories, but uh, uh, not everyone builds the long-lasting benefits of owning an audience, a community, having a lot of traffic and leads at the same time as they build their sales and uh, paid media machines. 
Makes sense. That's probably because they're raising a lot more capital and a lot more pressure from the investors to deliver results, right? In a shorter, shorter yes. time frame. Yeah. Yes. Cool. <laughs> Startups so are, uh, in Latam are more frugal. Like they, they tend yeah. to be uh, uh, very often bootstrapped or raise very little capital. Yeah. Yeah. I, I respect that. You know, just uh, being able to use, be a little bit more uh, resourceful, right? And I think that it forces you to, with those constraints, to be more, make better decisions, right? And I wouldn't say that like one way or the other, like I really think sometimes the, the Latin American entrepreneurs, they miss this hyperscale uh, skills and abilities. And when you're great at that and you have the, that uh, ability to deploy capital at a very fast pace, it's also a, dif- a very relevant uh, competitive differentiation. So there's no right or wrong here, but each of the models has its own strengths and weaknesses. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people love the idea of like, yeah, if I just raise a hundred million, I can, I can build a, a unicorn, but it's not as easy. It's a big responsibility to properly ma- manage it, right? Um, I agree. Yeah. So you guys expanded all over Latin America now in six countries, including you have a team here in Guadalajara, where I am now. I think you have a couple of team members at the, at the WeWork. Um, you employ over 400 team members. What's the vision? What's the end goal? And where do you want to take raw content next? So we are very evangelistic about what we do. Like we really believe that content marketing and content experiences will be a huge category. Mm-hmm. Uh, our vision is to lead this category and because we were able to, to uh, pave the way on the category and educate the market and do a lot of thought leadership, uh, we believe listing this company someday is going to be a consequence of that. Like cool. it's not a goal, but it's the big dream. And, and uh, uh, it's if we do a great job, that's kind of unavoidable. And we push ourselves hard every day to keep executing toward this vision that every single brand has to become a publisher. They have to have their audience. And uh, 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 and if we're right, we're going to hit it big. Love it. Yeah, that's, that's an ambitious goal, but I think you guys are on, on, your, on the right track. Um, do you have any favorite... Last question, do you have any favorite resources or thought leaders that you follow that you can suggest your audience to check out? Uh, maybe that helped you think better about your, your business and help you grow over the last few years? Sure. Uh, I'm a nerd when it comes to SaaS. So I, I like to listen to all podcasts and connect with several mentors. And, and there's a long list of guys that I admire. Uh, I'm going to pick one that really helped us understand our business better, which is Chris Jans. Uh, he has a blog called The Angel VC. He, inv- he was the seed or angel investor at Zendesk, and he coined the concept of the SaaS-enabled marketplace. Hmm. Uh, and that's what we are. Like We have SaaS products in a talent marketplace that it's both are very scalable models. Yeah. And... Uh, he gave a name to the business model we were working on. I would say in the middle of the journey. So I'm really thankful uh, uh, for him sharing publicly his writings. Uh, other guys I love, uh, Mark Organ from Influitive and Eloqua. He became a friend and we speak often, big advisor and coach. Uh, I'm a big fan of... Uh, whole HubSpot crew like Darmesh, Brian, uh, Mark Roberge. Um, there's a long list. Tungas, 
Uh, I'm, I'm a SaaS nerd and I try to follow and connect with all these guys and I can. That's awesome. Well, uh, yeah, all, all great guys in the industry. We'll definitely put them in our show notes for people to check them out. Um, this has been great, Diego. I really appreciate you coming on today. Last question, where, where can our audience get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing at, at Rock Content? So my personal Twitter handle is at TTTG. It's my initials. At uh, Rock Content for the company. Uh, if you're curious to learn more about our creative marketplace, go to visual.ly and about uh, uh, rock content, it's rockcontent.com. Uh, really appreciate being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diego. Appreciate it. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.